Welcome to my study on understanding the book of Acts. These messages were given live during my regular Sunday morning services. Now, while each of these messages are able to help you as a standalone message, I recommend listening from the beginning because they do build on one another. Now, I pray these help you in your journey of understanding God's word. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Let's get to the message. Uh, anyway, so welcome. Good morning. Uh, I'm glad you guys came back after last week. I know last week was an interesting, uh, interesting message as we're walking through our uh, understanding of the book of Acts. And as we're in this section that we're talking about the church and the state of the church and the role of the church. And uh, this is the middle of three messages associated with the church. So we did the first one. We got the, we got the, the, the beating out of the way. And now we're going to talk about the, the church in itself. And then next week we're going to be talking about our part in it. Um, so I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this. Now open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 14. That's the set of verses that we're using to help guide us through this process. Acts chapter 14. And I want to read you this quote. If you're familiar with the first principles classes, uh, next week, the message is titled belonging to a family of families. So if you've gone through the first principles classes, that's going to sound familiar because that's the template that I'm using for this process. Aha, yes. So if you've actually read one of the books that we go through, this is actually one of the quotes in that book. And it reads like this. It says, the two great needs we all have in our life are a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And I added on to the end, neither can be achieved on our own. The two great needs that we have in our life are a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose. And neither can be achieved on our own. You can't belong to something that you're the only part, only thing belonging to it. That's a little narcissistic. I, I don't recommend that one. Uh, and you can't have a sense of purpose if it's only going to affect you. Purpose, by definition, demands that it be connected to something other than yourself. So belonging in a sense of purpose. Now, I'm just going to kind of hit the ground running today uh, because I have a tendency of droning on and 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 on, uh, which is fine. I'm a preacher, so I could re- literally talk about this stuff all day. Um, but, uh, you know, we all have lunches waiting for us, and I appreciate that. Macaroni and cheese is important. I don't know if you realize that, but it's, it is very important. Uh, and fried chicken and macaroni and cheese is doubly important. Actually, why don't we just quit and go to Cracker Barrel? <laughs> I just, I just, I, sorry. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's... Uh, now, we'd have to call ahead. It would be annoying. So anyway, um, so today we have this growing movement about leaving anything that looks like organized religion. We talked about this a little bit last week, and it's, it's been growing quite a bit in our world. Um, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. The church, as we know it, the church as an organized institution is really the centerpiece of God's plan for his gospel and for his people. And there's there's this... There's this shift moving away from that, and I think this, is, this shift is one of the reasons why you see such a decline in the church w- worldwide. People are becoming far more independent and less community-based, which is interesting because you can almost track this back with the advent of social media. You know, that, those apps that are supposed to help bring us together that really just divide us? You know, the people who have 10,000 friends, but no one, none of them would come to their funeral. You know what I mean? Because uh, they're, you know, they're just that good of friends. Um, live streaming a funeral probably isn't a great way to go. You should probably be there if you really care about the person. But that's a different story. One of the earliest proponents of this, 
I don't want to be part of the church anymore movement is a man named Wayne Jacobson. He put a book out, I think it was in the late 80s, early 90s, called So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. Uh, and it actually became very popular in our area. And this, this guy was a former pastor who got disillusioned with the church and decided to break away and literally started, his, started small churches. It's very interesting when you hear that. People say, you know, we don't need to be part of churches. What we need to do is we need to get together in homes and do everything that a church does, but we're not going to call it church. Because that makes me feel more spiritual than actually humbling myself and being part of a community. You know, good job. Uh, but this was, this is not, didn't just stop with him. There are literally hundreds of books that have been written about this subject. And today it's being fueled by this continuous stream of former high profile Christians who have very loudly and very publicly walked away from the church. Some of the names you might be familiar with is the, uh, the uh, band called Gunger former Christian music artist, they left the church because they got disillusioned with the church. Josh Harris, remember the guy that I kissed dating goodbye? He, apparently he kissed the church goodbye too. Marty Sampson, former Hillsong worship leader and songwriter. You probably sung some of his songs in services. Walked away from the church, doesn't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. Bart Campolo, the son of the famous preacher Tony Campolo, who is now a, a, um, a secular humanist preacher, which I find to be really funny. Um, secular humanism teaches that there's really nothing waiting for you, so don't worry about it because there's nothing there. You came from nothing, you'll go to nothing. But they have churches for this. What do you do? You get together and help each other understand that you're useless, you're going to die and go into nothing. I mean, that's someplace I want to go to, right? This is very uplifting. If you're familiar with the pastor, John Piper... His son, Abraham Piper, is one of the fastest growing atheist voices in the world. He is angrily against anything that looks like the church. He has a very, very popular YouTube channel where he just slams anything that his dad does. Train your child up in the way that they should go, right? And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. It's, it's, it's a very, very sad reality. Um, but the very public nature of their departure... Continues, continues to affect the people that are around them. When someone that you looked up to in, for, for Christian guidance all of a sudden leaves the church and becomes a very vocal voice against the church, if you were on the fence, now you're, you're leaning to the wrong side. Because you think, well, if they left, why would I be here? I mean, those guys were, they were like there. They were like in the top rungs. They had it. They, they, were, they, were, they had it made and they walked away. What is it that I don't know? What is it that my church is keeping from me? Am I being manipulated? These are questions that people legitimately have. My prayer for those people who have walked away so loudly is that God sends someone who can actually get a hold of them. Because the reality is they never really had a personal faith with, faith, faith with Christ to begin with. It, it becomes very clear when you start to hear some of their complaints. Now, the reality that they are where they are should not cause us to throw, throw stones at them. It should cause us to re-examine ourselves. When you see people in these positions walking away so loudly and proudly, they're not just walking away loudly, they're walking away proud. I feel so free. Think about that for a second. I feel so free now that I've gotten rid of my Savior and I'm no longer going to heaven. I feel so free. No, you're not free. You just got cheap. 
One of the complaints from those who walk away from the church but remain in the faith, there's always people who walk away from the organized church but they, try to, they want to remain in the faith, is that the church, the organized institutionalized church, is no longer part of God's New Testament plan. The church, the synagogue, the gathering, that was an Old Testament thing. That was temple. And the church today doesn't serve the plan that God has. Well, the only way to answer that question is to let God answer that question. So if you're, if you're, if you're claiming that God no longer has a plan for the church as we know it today, then God's word would show us that. So let's see what God's word actually says about the church. Hebrews 10, 23, 25, very popular verse, says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. How do we do that? By not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another so that much, uh, so much more as you see the day approaching. That by itself should be enough. Don't forsake the gathering. Now, I had this verse thrown at me a lot during COVID. Pastor, you shouldn't shut the church down. Forsake not the gathering of the brethren. Okay, I understand the wisdom, but there's, you also have to try to eliminate the other side of it. Thou shalt not gather everyone together and infect them with a deadly disease. I think this is kind of important. The Old Testament actually says, wash your hands, you dirty sinner. It does. Look it up for yourself. That's not what we're talking about. There's a difference between can't go and won't go. Okay? This is important. So how about this one? Psalm 150, verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. People say, ha-ha, gotcha. That's Old Testament. No, that's consistency. You see, you see the same thing in the New Testament that you've seen in the Old Testament, which means God has never changed. He's always provided a place for his people to gather from the beginning of time to now. This isn't God changing his mind. This is God being consistent with himself. How about this one? First Timothy 3, 14 through 15 says, These things I write to you, I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the, uh, of the truth. Your Bible might say foundation. And here we go one more. Psalm 122, verse 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. How about this one from Paul in Colossians? Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his home. Now, when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans that likewise, that you likewise read the epistle to, to Laodicea. Read this to your entire church and then read it to the church in Laodicea. Then get the letter I sent them and you read it as well. To the church in. Now, see, if you just said to the people of God who live in that city, that would be one thing. And that's an argument that a lot of people make. But how do you know who the church is if they don't gather? How do you know who the church is? How do you know where to read it if you don't know where to find them? This is the purpose of the church. Now, some people say, aha, on that last, sec- that last scripture, they say, aha, churches were meeting in houses. Ha, gotcha. Uh, actually, you don't got me. Um, because the church started in a house. 
Let me point something out. This church started in a house. Guess what? If history tells us one thing, churches that start in homes that don't move into a community-based building never grow. They stay small. You know why? Because there's no room. There's no room. God's church is organic and growing and living. And living things grow. Living things expand. I keep reminding myself that every time I step on a scale, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. I'm expanding my borders, Lord. One belt loop at a time. We also should note that some of these churches that were meeting in homes were meeting in homes because the government in their area was hunting them down and killing them. Probably not a great idea to put a big blinking neon sign out in front of your house, lion food here, right? Every time the church was established, a larger public building was constructed. Home churches were very rare, especially long-term home churches. Remember Acts 14, 21 through 23, the end of Paul's missionary journey says, when they had preached the gospel in the city and made many disciples, they returned back through the path that they had taken through Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders, 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 when they had appointed elders in every church, an elder is an overseer. It's one who has wisdom, who has proven their faith, who has an understanding in the things of God and how to guide people. That is what an elder is. It doesn't mean older, okay? Well, I mean, in Larry's case, it does. (laughs) Sorry, man. Two of you were right there. I couldn't help it. Appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting and commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Here's the reality. If you have the claim that being part of a local community church is not connected to your faith, I want to say this very simply, you are wrong. And you're not just a little wrong. You're huge wrong. You're from the beginning of God's established people to today wrong. You're in all of church history wrong. You're in every example of faith, of humility, of righteousness, of adherence to God's word. You're wrong in every single way. And anyone listening online today or anyone listening on the radio later, you are wrong. The church as we know it, the institutionalized, organized church is the centerpiece of God's kingdom. If for nothing else, one reason, the lost will know where to find you. You see, when, when people outside the church see you coming into the church, when they know that you're associated with an organization, the one thing that they do know is that you should act a certain way. You should behave a certain way. You should speak a certain way. You should live a certain way. Being part of a community is not only good for us in our faith, it is also instant evangelism for anyone who knows the body that you're connected with. Which is why you hear things like this, I thought you were a Christian. I didn't know a Christian could drink that much. Man, you must take care of the communion stuff because you can put that wine away. I 
I didn't know Christians knew those words. Oh yeah, yeah. Christian doesn't mean perfect. It just means try an awful hard to figure it out. <laughs> We're on a journey. We're not at a destination, okay? Now, this by no means is a, claim that the, is a claim that the church is perfect or without issues, and that I am not claiming that there are not bad churches, and I'm not claiming that there are not bad teachers, and I'm not saying that there are not a lot of cults out there who try to use the word Christian to further themselves. Those exist. Bad churches and bad pastors and bad groups exist, which is why we're supposed to know the Bible. We're supposed to be able to walk into a service and discern whether or not we need to be here or not. This happens. So we need to be biblically literate enough to know, okay, I'm, I, I can't be here. This church is not teaching the Bible. It's time to go, you know. What I am saying is that the church and the community of the unified saints is a central part of God's plan. Since the days the nation of God left Egypt, he has created a place for his people to gather and worship. It's always been there. It will always be there for always the same reasons. This is a place where the faithful can gather together, they can connect, they can grow in their understanding, hold one another accountable, find forgiveness, and develop their gifts and skills in the service of the Lord. It's the purpose of the church. These buildings look very different over the years. They look, some of them look amazing. Some of them you're kind of like, wow, I, I can't tell you. When we were first building this church here, New York State made us dig this gigantic mosquito farm out in front of the building. I don't know if you guys remember this big pond for drainage. While it was being built, I can't tell you how many times people would come in here asking if this was going to be a nice and easy or a gas station. You know, the, some of the guys doing the construction, they, were, they, they actually would tell people, oh, yeah, yeah, the pumps are going to go right out there. It's going to be a gas station. Like, we are working with a sign company to get a big sign on the building itself, just so that you do know that. We're moving forward. Buildings look different. Sometimes it was a home, but it was very rare that church would stay in a home. Because just like today, churches would start in a home, but they didn't stay there. Homes are hard to find for people who are seeking. Homes are difficult to find. A church stands out. It's very easy to find. So when people need help, when they need some hope, they should be able to know, I should, I should be able to go there and get some help. Now, all across Europe and Africa, especially the Middle East, they are still finding churches, like temples literally carved into the stone. I got some pictures. Hopefully, some of them will show up in through here. Um, so, the one in the top left, I don't know if you can see it, depending on how far away you are, but that church was literally carved in one piece out of the granite rock it's sitting on. That's not a building built on top of the rock. That's actually dug out and they, they carved the church out of the stone. I can't even believe how long that would have taken. And that it's like straight. <laughs> so like real angles. I can't do that with wood. You know, it's like, this is crazy. The church on the bottom is a Catholic church that's still used today, carved into a mountain. That's another, uh, those are two other churches that have been found. This one I want to show you. This is a church. 
okay? This is, this is uh, Abba Yahani in, um, uh, in Ethiopia. This is, a, this is a monastery that's still being used today. If you can't see it, that's where it is, okay? You actually have to climb up half the mountain and walk down this little tiny path to get inside there. They built it in the mountain because Christians in that area were being persecuted and killed, so this became a defensible position where they could actually go to church and defend themselves because it's really hard to get up there. That's what the inside of the church looks like. Still in use... Okay, so it doesn't look quite like that. Um, (laughs) That looks like a negative exposure. It's actually a pretty neat place. It's an active monastery still being used today. It's been there for over a thousand years. It's so cool. Now, let me ask you something. If the church wasn't important, (laughs) if it didn't make a difference, why would people go through this kind of trouble? To create a place where the community of faith could gather. They wouldn't. They would make it easy and they would meet out in a field or under a tree or in a home, but they didn't. They created a place where everyone would know where to find them. And that's the point. So why are so many people walking away from something that means so important, that means so much to God? I don't think there's a single answer to that. I don't think we can give a single answer to that because there's a lot of reasons why people get tired of something and walk away. I, I get it. But I think if we look at history, we can find some root causes about how things change. I think one of the big shifts that has happened in our worlds over the last 50, 60 years is there has been a change in the type of celebrity in churches, especially from the advent of the televangelist. All of a sudden, ministries don't just start to reach people. Ministries start, and maybe we can get on TV, and maybe we can do this, and maybe we can do this. And then maybe, you know, if, we, if I do my makeup right, I had news for I don't put makeup on before I come out here. You can tell on the recordings because my head, if I turn right, all of a sudden turns into a spotlight. Different place. I don't, it, it doesn't matter. But you have celebrity pastors. You have celebrity worship leaders. You have people literally making millions and millions and millions of dollars selling books, selling CDs. There's nothing wrong with any of that, but it changes people's mentality about the church. It changes people's mentality about what the church is and how we are supposed to relate to it. When I first became a Christian, I, ha- I made a very honest but very simple but very common mistake. I became a Christian 27 years ago. Two weeks after become a Christ- becoming a Christian, I felt called into ministry. Just, I, I don't know why. I just felt called to, to, to pursue full-time ministry. I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what it would cost. I had no idea what it was entailed. The pastor who I was uh, with at the time was like, isn't that cute? And it was, it was kind of where it was left. But I had this desire inside of me. I needed to do this thing. But I had nowhere to start. So in my brain, I was like, okay, so I need to get connected to a church. And this was my thinking. I'll get connected to a church and I'll serve and I'll learn and I'll develop. I'll learn how to preach. I'll learn how to teach. And, and eventually, when the time is right, I'll get into ministry. See, that was the mistake. I believed that I needed to become something so that eventually I could become a minister or get into ministry together. That's, a, that's an honest, common mistake. Let me explain to you why. During the time that I spent being developed, and I really did spend a lot of time, I was committed to this. I was also... Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't. I'm a, I'm a classically trained chef. I'm a, I'm a uh, culinary school, the whole nine yards. I actually went through the whole thing. I spent 
A lot of years in the restaurant food service industry, I was very good at it. While I was there, I was kind of waiting my time until my ministry would start. But during that time, I was leading Bible studies. I was counseling employees. I was sharing my faith with people that I was working with. I was developing myself as a musician and a worship leader. I was actually traveling with a youth ministry out doing, you know, youth ministry because that's not real ministry, right? Leading worship and stuff like that. And I, I, was, I was doing this and what, I, what it never dawned on me was that every day when I was at work, I was on the mission field. Every time I shared my faith with a coworker, I was doing the work of an evangelist. And every time someone would sit down and they would share their heart with me or they would share their needs with me and I would try to help them, I was doing the work of a priest. You see, the word ministry simply means to represent. So the ministry of God that we're all called in simply means to represent God in the situation that you find yourself in, regardless of your understanding of your, or your experience. So when I'm sharing my faith with someone and I'm not really sure how to do it or not very good at it, I'm still doing my best to minister God to that person. Now, I'm in the church developing myself in this, and eventually I realized, this was probably 15 years ago now, I'm thick, but I'm not that thick. It wasn't like yesterday. I was like, bing! (laughs) I finally realized I'm actively in ministry My development as I'm serving in the church is bringing me up a level so that I can be a better minister. You don't get, as a Christian, you don't get to a point where suddenly ministry happens. Got news for you the first time you tell your unbelieving family that you're a Christian, ministry just started happening. When I told my parents that I had become a Christian, the very first thing out of their mouth don't give them your money! I was like, I thought they'd be happy that I was going to try to be a better person. But what they knew and understood about the church was the TV evangelist who was always asking for money. If you have a prayer request, send in a cloth with a check for $1,000 and we'll pray for you. That's what they knew. So I can't really fault them for that. You think about this. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You notice these are all community terms? These are all community terms. You, specifically, are a chosen generation, a a royal priesthood. These aren't individual terms. These are community terms. A holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light, who once you were not a people, but now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. How about the book of Revelation? Everyone loves to quote from there, right? To him who has loved us and washed us from our sin in his own blood, he has made us, us, kings and priests, to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. For years, I thought I was being prepared for real ministry. And it finally dawned on me, I'm in real ministry. Ministry happens at work. Ministry happens at small groups. Ministry happens when you 
go to a coffee house or you pray for a friend or if you take them to Panera and you actually pray for your meal, even if they, you think it's going to make them uncomfortable, pray for your meal and make them uncomfortable. It's okay. Being distant from God should be uncomfortable. And you know what? Ministry also happens when you hang out with friends who are also Christians and you encourage them to continue. You encourage them to to go through the difficult times that that they're happening in their life. When we get together for mutual edification, this is ministry. One of the things that I finally realized is I wasn't just being prepared for ministry. I was being prepared to be a pastor. From the very beginning of my culinary career, I have been involved in training, education, and the development of other people. My, my entire career, this is what I've, been in, what I've been involved with. So as I was moving up through ministry, the thing that I understood was I got far more fulfillment out of watching somebody else reach their potential than I did in ever producing a great meal. So I began to develop myself as a trainer, as an educator. I tell people all the time, I teach, I don't preach. I'm not much of a preacher. I'm a much better teacher. But I think that's the role of a pastor. My main job is to be a resource for the training and development of God's people. You see, I read this thing in the Bible. Teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. Teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. Teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. I got it in my head that I'm probably supposed to teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. Kind of funny how that works. This is the place where we gather in community for the purpose of mutual edification, support, relationship, and personal development in the faith. This is not the place where ministry is supposed to happen. This isn't the building where Christianity suddenly appears. If your Christianity is locked into your attendance at church, you're in for a big disappointment because two hours a week ain't enough. It ain't enough. You think about this. I'm in the middle of a home improvement project. God help me. Whenever anyone says buy a fixer-upper, they're more fun, just throat punch them. Because they're lying. They're totally lying to you. Anyway, moving right along. Was that live? Yeah, probably was. Yeah, okay. Yep. Pastor said I can throat punch you. <laughs> In Jesus' name. Pray for him afterwards. But here's the thing. While I'm going through this project, a lot of the stuff that I've been using for the project, I've been getting at Lowe's and Home Depot. And I go there for a couple different reasons. Everything that I need to complete this project is there, right? And I can get advice on how to avoid making costly mistakes by some of the pros that are there. Some of the people there, just so they understand, not pros. There's pros and there's cons. Some of them are just cons. Okay? If you know anything about building, typically just ask someone a question. And if the first thing they do is grab that phone walkie-talkie thing they have, they're not the one you need to be getting advice from. Okay? Just saying. But everything that I need is there. Now, if I just went to Home Depot and just wandered around and talked to people about all of the stuff I would like to do to my house, how much am I going to get done? Nothing. But I'm around everything that I need. 
Everything that I would need to, to, to be success in this thing is right there for me. Why isn't this being done? Why don't I feel more fulfilled? Why am I getting frustrated after I've spent four months walking around Home Depot hiding in the lumber aisle when they close? It's because I'm someplace where it seems things would happen, but it's not where things happen. They may give you a class on how to paint or how to frame or how to work with this or how to work with that, but that's not where it's supposed to be. You don't bring your house to Home Depot, put it in the parking lot and go, okay, I'm here. At some point, you have to get started. Gail here? Figures. I had two people that I wrote in my note. Neither one of them are here. I'll answer for them. Gail Parker's a hairdresser. Okay? Could you imagine if she just spent all of her time at the salon supply place? She wants to cut hair. Now, if she just spends her whole life in a place where you get the stuff you need to do the thing you think you're supposed to be doing, what you end up with, you end up getting frustrated. You begin getting disillusioned with what this career would look like, with what this path would look like. And then all of a sudden, you know what? I have spent the last 15 years in this supply salon supply place They've been lying to me the whole time. I've never been able, no one's ever allowed me to cut hair. I've never been able to do this or do that. No one lets me cut hair either. I just want to point that out. You know, no one's allowing me to do what I think I want to do. I'm done with this place. I don't need this place in order to cut hair. Hear the reasoning? The frustration? It's all in the wrong spot. It's all in the wrong place. The frustration is not you can't put the frustration, if, you have, if you're frustrated with your Christian life, you're frustrated with the idea of the amount of ministry you think you're supposed to be doing, but you can't get into a spot in the church. You can't, you know, I really feel like I'm supposed to be singing, but there's, you know, I just, I just can't get up there. I really think I should be teaching, but, you know, pastor's never going to give up the pulpit. I got news for you. If you have the gift, yes, I will. Because that's the whole point. But I might ask you to do something different like teaching kids church. But I want to be a preacher, not teaching kids. Got news for you. If you can't keep a six-year-old's attention, you ain't going to keep anybody else's either. Okay? Some of you just woke up. Got to start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. When you find yourself frustrated with the church and you, you hear these testimonies and they're all the same. They wanted to serve God. They developed themselves and their abilities. They started serving and helping people, but it wasn't fulfilling. They felt like they were being held back. They felt like they were being subdued. They weren't allowed to move on. Other people in the church were doing things that they thought they should be doing. How dare they? How dare the church pick them over me? Don't they, now listen to the humility here, don't they know how talented I am? Mm, talent don't mean a thing. Exactly. Where would that, yeah. They just couldn't deal with it anymore. 
So they finally left Home Depot because they didn't need to be there. They were going to go build stuff on their own. And God says, finally. (laughs) Here's the kicker. All of these people blame the church for holding them back from being involved in ministry. It's not the church's problem. Here's the reality. There are 52 weeks in a year. We meet for roughly an hour and a half. There's about 25 to 30 minutes of worship. There are only so many people you can fit on the stage. Guess what? There's only one Christmas program a year. There's only one Easter service a year. But we get frustrated because there are a few hundred of us trying to fulfill our ministry calling in a very small pool. But the reality is, this is the Home Depot of your faith. This is not where you fulfill your ministry in Christian service. Now, before you you tune out, let me make sure you're you're, you're not hearing what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying don't volunteer in the church. You should be volunteering in the church. You should be helping with kids' church and with nursery. You should be volunteering to hand out bulletins. You should be helping wherever the church has a need, But if you think that's going to fulfill you, that hour and a half, once a week, you are setting yourself up for frustration and disappointment. Your ministry happens out there. My, the the most effective that I get is when I'm interacting with individuals, it's one of the reasons why I, I install sound systems and video systems, why I make electric guitars, because I can get out into the marketplace, into the community, and I can connect with people. Now, I still have to spend the bulk of my time preparing because I, I have a job. I'm supposed to be feeding you guys. But I'm one person. Do you know that Jesus worked with 12 and he was God? We can't expect to reach everyone. Here is a reality in the church, and I'm going to finish with this, and I'm going to let you go, that a lot of people have a hard time with. It is not my job or the church's responsibility to lead your family and friends to the Lord. It is not my job or the church's responsibility to make sure your kids grow up Christian. It is not my job or the church's responsibility to make sure that you have something to do that makes you feel fruitful. It's yours. The role of the church, and this is where I think the disconnection comes in, is to provide a platform so that you can be developed into something more intense than what you may have started out with. My job is to push you to teach you, to train you, to provide opportunities so you can do the same. There are four people I started working with about two and a half years ago on the First Principles teaching platform. We started going, and I was very honest with them. I said, I would love to, if you would come to this class. And that's all I said to them. (laughs) We started doing these classes originally one-on-one, then we got together in a group. And I don't know, was it about halfway through book three or something like that? I said, oh yeah, by the way, if you want to start series two, you first have to have your own group and start walking them through series one. Everyone went, what? I'm sorry? No. 
all of them have their own groups. Now, here's the cool thing. We're going to be starting that next series, and one of the conversations we're going to be having within that, uh, in that series, for those of you who are attending those first principles classes, is who in those classes is going to be the next people to start their own groups. See how this works? You teach, you train, you release to do the same. They teach, they train, they release to do the same. This is how the church is supposed to function. To teach and train the body for the work of the ministry. Because you are going to reach a whole lot more people than I ever will. And that's got to be okay. Now the question is, are you willing? Are you willing? A lot of people say they are. They don't show up. I totally want to know how to reach people for the Lord. Okay, come to this class. Oh, class. Are you doing that on Sunday mornings? No. This is another time during the week. I got things. Things? I got stuff. Stuff? You know, when Jesus stepped out of heaven, he probably had things. When Jesus was dying on the cross, I'm sure he had stuff going through his mind. There was a lot of places he'd rather be. It's about community. It's about everybody. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Copenhagen, to Watertown, to Pulaski, to Pinckney, and all the other little places that you don't even know exist because you drive through them too fast. They strengthened the souls of the disciples and they exhorted them to continue in the faith, saying, we must, go, we must through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is church. But you are the church. Everywhere you go, you're in ministry. Everywhere anyone knows who you are and what you believe, you're in ministry. Take that opportunity to be the church and represent God right where you are. And if you need help developing yourself, this is where you get it. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for what you build. I want to thank you that you create places for your people to gather, to worship, to pray, to lift your name up, Lord. I thank you that you never leave us wandering alone. You always bring your people together. Help us to never let go of the importance of that truth. Help us to adjust our expectations and to help us approach the role and the purpose of your church with a more godly mind and a godly heart. Help us to learn how to take you out into the world for these other six days of the week, Lord. Bless us with your presence. Bless us with your, with your understanding. Bless us with your heart. We thank you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.